0: Hello. Hey, John.
1: Oh, hi, Dan. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Just sometimes I talk in a little bit softer voice. Okay. All right. Just communicates, you know, accessibility and, and, you know, degree of normalcy. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we need here. So, yeah, that's just what I'm trying to do. I wasn't trying to do it until I did it, and now I'm super trying to do
0: it. You're stuck with it, though. You're going to continue it for the whole show.
1: No, no, I think I'll probably no, harden in, up I insist. I don't think it's possible. I think my I think my carapace <laughs> will just start to solidify. <laughs> uh, yeah. Too soft now. Too yeah. soft. Too accessible. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There I am. <clears throat> cleared that out. Yep. Yep. Feeling a lot. Yeah. Feeling strong. Okay. Yep. Hidden cameras everywhere. <laughs>
0: you got your Facebook um, devices around the the house now?
1: My Facebook devices.
0: You know, the the video you at all times and all that.
1: Oh, yeah, my Facebook devices, Uh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, boy, Dan, boy, I know we talk about it a lot, but I just don't know where to be or how to be. In general, like in the world or what? What to be, yeah, it's just all very confusing. Every week you come around and you're like, I got it. I got it all figured out. I got it nailed. Uh I am this. I do this. I should be here at this time. This, these are the things that I like. This is, this, this is how you would define me if you were describing me to someone else. And then it, it doesn't take much before it's all, that all just goes away in a cloud. And it's like, what, who am I? Why am I? What am I? Right. What am I supposed to do now? Yeah. No, I it's how a talking can heads to the song this? about that. How can know? I stand it for another hour?
0: <laughs> you ever seen the movie There Will Be Blood? Yes. I I really like that movie. I just watched it again with my son, who's just about twelve years old. And uh he really liked it too. And at first he really liked Daniel Plainview. And then by the end of the movie, I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen it, so go see it, but he, uh, he didn't like him quite as much. And I feel I could watch, as, as the movie went on, I could watch him kind of like him less, you know what I'm saying? Sure. But a lot of the things that you're saying now, I think could kind of echo that sentiment, especially when he says that, you know, he talks about not, not liking anybody and tolerating people at best. Mm-hmm. And I, he says, I can't do this anymore with these people.
2: Hmm.
0: And I feel, mm-hmm. I hear some of that in you, but I feel like you repress it. You try to be good. You try to do the right thing. But under that surface, there's that sort of uh, as as he says, that competition in him that is bubbling up.
1: Well, but you know, he's ambitious.
0: And um... I think you're very ambitious. I would put you in in a high on. You would rank highly on the list of ambitiousness.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: I feel interesting. like, I feel that, but I feel like you, you have to, because of your persona, the, the caricature that you adorn yourself with, mm. you have to downplay that a little bit.
1: Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Like yeah. under the surface, no, no, no. I think, I think you, you, you strive. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I Uh, You're, you're,
1: you're probably right.
0: You could say I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I'm not, I'm not insisting on that. It's correct.
1: No, no. I, 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 you're, you're probably right. I, I am so much a product of a time when, um, where, when children were analyzed Mm. and where children were handed the keys to that analyzation and, and sent out into the world. (laughs) Uh, by adults saying, "All right, analyze yourself now." Yeah, we've analyzed you and written a lot of things down about you, and now you have the keys. Go forth and never be comfortable again. Mm-hmm. That I honestly, <clears throat> from a, from a pretty young age, uh, came to understand my consciousness as not a reliable thing, but as a A a many tiered as a, as a many, as a many layered hell. You you mean like your awareness of the world? My awareness of my awareness of the world. I see. Like, like I am, I'm here right, right, right now. I arrived downstairs here to record the show. Yeah. I had a friend that was texting me saying, um, are we going to do something this afternoon? Uh, all of the things that you've proposed are too much work but we should still hang out. And I was like, okay, got it. And then I got here and my daughter had left a half a banana tucked under a keyboard. And I was like, okay, right. Half a banana. Like there's the, there's the person, there's the me who is just like working, um, just to get through, just, just slogging through the mud, you know? Mm -hmm. But then, uh, I had a, I got an email this morning, um, where somebody was like, Hey, here are, you know, here are some, here's some math. And it caused me to reflect on some math. Someone else had sent me. So I sent them an email where I was like, wait a minute, does this math add up with your math? And that person <laughs> wrote back somewhat condescendingly explaining a little bit to me about how math works. Oh, <laughs> I see. And in the end, what she said was, uh, the math is the same. Now, Um, but I came out of that exchange. This is the first thing that happened this morning, this series of emails. The first one, a friendly email from somebody who was like some math. The second one, me sending an email to another person saying, wait a minute, this math. And then she writing back and going, um, actually math is hard, but here is, you know, in the end, all you don't need to worry your pretty little head. All it is, is this. And I came out of that experience of, of three emails With a bad feeling, a bad feeling at having been condescended to a bad feeling of not being sure that, that the math is as she's being, as she is laying it out, but also the, the worst feeling, which is that I made a choice somewhere further up the stream based on what the information I had at hand, but also based on kind of um path of least resistance. Okay. That put me in business with this woman who is who is condescending. And she's not condescending like to me s- specifically. It's just her manner. Right? I mean, if the it she just is somebody who mansplains um to people that obviously know what Math is right. Right. But I made a decision and it was mostly just honestly, it was because in the moment of the decision, I, I said, now, wait a minute. You, you, you already are kind of sure you don't jibe with this person. Yeah. And also you're not sure 100% about not the math, but about the, about who the math serves. And this other guy is pretty friendly. He's pretty nice, but it would require that I stand up and walk across the room and sit down in a chair over there. (laughs) And I just don't want to do that right Right, now. Right, right, (laughs) right. And so I'm going to go ahead in business with this lady, even though I'm like meh about her. And now I'm seeing now uh, one of the first exchanges, um, with her after having sort of done a handshake, and I'm like, oh, right. I don't like dealing with her. And I and I knew it, and I should have made a decision a different way up there, back up there where, you know, past John. When past John should have gotten up and walked across the room, when, when past John was present John, he didn't want to deal with it. But now <laughs> that yeah. future John is present John, he's like, what the fuck, past John? Why'd you set me up? Why'd you set me up to be now to have bitterness around a thing that shouldn't have bitterness around it. Sure. And that is the kind of, um, that's the kind of square dance where the only way I could be, the only way I could be now disturbed by that this morning, disturbed by it beyond just like, Oh, that's irritating. And then moving on is that I'm, <clears throat> that I'm trained and I'm expert at uh, judging my own motivations judging my own um uh, believing that there are ulterior motives to everything that I do in relation to my own self so why did I go with that woman well because I was I trying to sabotage a thing was I was i afraid that things were going too well did i have were there other what else was in play why am i incapable of doing things smoothly or or being proactive or making decisions and uh, in my on, on my own behalf the problem is that i think i think everybody does these things everybody you know picks somebody out of a lineup and then later on is sorry about it the difference is that they don't They don't rake themselves over the coals about it. It's a small thing. It's not going to change the, it's not going to change the math. First of all, I don't have to deal with this person. I'm never going to see her. I'm never going to see her face, right? It's all just email and who knows? She may be very nice. It may just be an email tone problem or whatever. But, but I, but I, but I latch onto these things, Mm -hmm. not because I'm not because other people, right? I'm not, I'm not like, oh, why do I have to deal with other people? I latch onto them because, because my question is, why do I have to deal with me? (laughs) You know, I'm sorry. I know what you mean. Why the fuck do I, you know, why can't I water off a duck's back this? Why can't I just, uh, why don't I ever just shrug and go, eh? And the reason is because it's not about them. Each one of these encounters Sets off this Rube Goldberg device inside of myself, where it's like, now, what was, what did you mean by that when you said that? That, oh, this, you know, this seems just exactly like that thing that you always do, or that mm-hmm. you never do. But the fact that you never do it is a sign that you'd always do it. And it's just, I mean, I, honestly, I could put you right back in the psychologist's office when I was thirteen years old, and you know the. Uh, the psychologist's office where I went for family counseling with my family, mm-hmm. where after a couple of weeks, my sister stood up and said, I've been in here for like three weeks with you guys and I've never said a word and no one has asked me a question. So this is quote unquote family counseling, but I don't need to sit in here. I mean, she uh, was like 11 Oh, really. And she was like, I, you know, I'm not coming back and nobody could argue with her. Nobody had said a word to her. You know, that was my sister's life right? They were all in there to talk about me. And so she, Susan stopped coming. And then about a month after that, my mom said, you know, the problem in this family is between David and John and they need to work out their issues. I don't have any problems. Uh. And she stopped coming. And then my dad and I went to family counseling for a few months. And then my dad was one week was like, I can't make it this week. I've got a basketball game. I'll see you next week. And then he never came again. And I continued to go to family counseling for the rest of high school. Mm, just you junior high in high school. Yeah. Just me because it was clear where the problem was. <laughs> uh, we finally, as a family, you know, boiled it down to who it was that needed help, but I can put myself in that, in that office. And, you know, I think about it now and I go, right. That was just, A psychologist in Alaska in the early eighties interpreting what we knew, what we knew and what we thought we knew about psychology and imparting it by via some process of, you know, because there, there was a lot of pop psychology then a lot of you know, positive and negative reinforcement, fear of failure, fear of success talk. I mean, all these theories then that I don't believe in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't, they, they, they have, they do not resonate with me, you know, intellectually, but they are as native to me as any other idea I learned in high school. You know, they, those things were taught to me as, uh, and they were imparted to me as as like true principles of how the mind works at a time when I was very curious about how the mind works. And I was also learning that in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once a week I would go in and sit in this woman's office and be invited to talk about personal matters and being, and she was not a bad psychologist. You know, I, I don't, At no point do I say, oh, I was working with a quack. Right. She was great. She was very, she was very good to me. In fact, you know, she stood up to me or she stood up for me when my parents sued each other later on in high school. Mm. And she was a good resource for me, you know, uh, uh, um, later on. But, but all in a kind of like, there was somebody else in the world that had my back way. But she was just, she's just a professional person, just practicing what she knows. You know, at one point, at one point, doctors put leeches on you to, to cure, uh, leukemia. Right. And whatever the psychology, whatever the practice of psychology was in the early eighties, I'm not going to say it was like a leech based psychology, but, (laughs) but, but I don't, I don't, I have no faith in it. You know, it says it is as much a. I mean, I say it all the time, but I think it's a pseudoscience. I think that talk therapy is wonderful, but for instance, she wasn't comfortable talking to a teenage boy about his, um, about his sex life. And mm-hmm. I didn't have a sex life, but I had an inner life. Right. And I wanted to talk about girls and she wasn't comfortable. And it wasn't that it wasn't that she ever said, I want, I need to limit my practice with you, uh, to not talking about girls Because of a conflict or because of some, because of something, you know, she just wasn't comfortable. So what she did was redirect. Well, if you are a 14 year old boy and you start talking about a girl or girls to your, to your uh, female psychologist and she redirects more than once, you sure notice it. I sure noticed it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was given a clear message, like, don't talk about girls in here. Well, what the fuck else does a 14 year old boy want to talk about? You know, I mean, what they were all interested in is why I wasn't succeeding or quote unquote succeeding. Right. And, uh, you know, and I'm in there and I'm like, well, well, since we're here, I like this girl and I don't know what to do. She was like, anyway, let's go back to talking about your. And I was like, oh, all right. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> one of my primary relationships, I didn't have anybody to talk to about girls, not a living soul. My dad was as bad as my mom at it, you know, and they and I don't know if you could be worse than my mom, except, except if you were my dad. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so, so anyway, here I am, I'm 51 years old and I just am carrying around this set of superstitions Um, that is, that's, that's pernicious because it's, because it's in there with me, you know, it's, it's like, if you tell me now, or if you told me 15 to 20 years ago, Hey, in 1492, Columbus didn't just sail the ocean blue. He also brought dysentery and rats and, you know, like, (laughs) I would, I, you know, when I, when I started to hear some amendments to Columbus sailed the ocean blue in the early nineties, when I read Howard Zinn, um, I was, I had like, Oh, you know, the, that, those were, um, those were scales falling from the eyes moments for someone who was educated in the seventies, but it wasn't hard. It was exciting. You know, it was exciting to go, Oh, wait a minute. You know, the, the, the little sing song history that, that most people walk around with isn't the, isn't the full story. Like this is why I went to college, but that never really happened. There wasn't any, um, effort to dislodge that, that, um, psychology toothpick Eiffel tower. Mm mm-hmm. All the, the the only conversation that we have as a nation and as a people ar- around that is just it's it's only additive. It's never subtractive. It's like oh, you're you're uh, we've decided that your toothpick Eiffel Tower isn't quite sufficient, so we built a toothpick Golden Gate Bridge underneath it, and now on top of the toothpick Eiffel Tower, which sits atop a toothpick Golden Gate Bridge, we're going to build a toothpick space shuttle. You know, it just it, every new theory. Think about it. We hardly ever hear a sociological or psychological theory subjected to any criticism itself. The the theories just compound and, and all based on the earlier theory. No one has ever, has ever refuted or denounced The idea that you can have a fear of failure and also a fear of success, both those things acting at the same time, make of it what you will Mm -hmm. do with that, what you want, (laughs) where it's like, what? Those are just words. You just said words. Oh, that's all that is. You just, you, it's, it's poetry more than anything. If it works for you, right? If, if someone says you have a fear of failure and you go, right, and you go out and do something different then it's effective. It's like, it's like reading a poem where you go, Oh my God, I see. But there is no fear of failure as like a, as like a, it's not a medical condition. It's not an institution. We don't live, you know, there, all the people that have a fear of failure don't go off and form a new colony because <laughs> it would fail. It's just a metaphor for it's just a, you know, it's just somebody said it and then somebody else picked up the flag and ran with it. But, but over across the way, there's somebody else that's like fear of success and they run into each other and it's like your chocolate got in my peanut butter. Mm -hmm. It's even better. So I've had the hardest time shaking those monkeys out of my tree because they're, you know, because they're up there. They're fucking all the time monkeys is what they want. That's what they want to do. They're like bonobos. I got a tree full of these monkeys that are, that are the product of those earlier monkeys that <laughs> right. I never, you know, I never got them down. I never got them out. And all they do is, is combine in new ways that don't help. I don't think until I have a whole language until part of my language, part of my like self is built out of those building blocks. Just as I think there are people out in the world who, who never looked at, at, at the sing song history they were taught and it became, you know, not just formative, but like it became foundational to them so that if you say, Hey, Columbus didn't sell the ocean blue until late 1492, early 1493, actually you're rocking their world. And they're, right. and they're like, fuck you. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. God damn it. But, but like, I got no, I'm like, I'm not trying to defend this, this, this pile of toothpicks. I hate it. I ref, I refute it. I reject it. When I hear new things, when I open a, open a magazine or read a, uh, something online and I, and I read the, the latest theory about something or the latest, I, you know, all I do is, is um. Like it makes me nauseous almost how little, how little is required to put out a theory of the mind and have it accepted by people who nominally are in the business of the mind. Like they, they're so busy thinking up a theory of the mind that they are not policing their own culture, their own, business culture, you know, I, I, I recoil to call it a scientific culture because there is no, the peer review is all just like, yeah, they wrote something too. Cause how do you test it? How do you test whether there's a fear of failure or not? You can't. And so, you know, I want to be at war with them. I want to be at war with, with, with it, with the, with the culture that produces and promulgates it but unfortunately the only thing i have to go to war with it is my own mind which is infected by it to you know infected by it all the way back to to like the dawn of my emotions if you think about a 13 year old Mm -hmm. 12 13 year old that's when their mind fully comes online i don't say anywhere close to fully develops it's not but it Your emotions are there now you're, you know, you're in this, this storm. So for these ideas to, to be there at that layer, everything I put on top of it is, is built, you know, it's like layer caked with these ideas the whole way, including when I want to talk about a girl that's not okay, and it's not. It's not not okay. Like nobody's slapping my hand and telling me it's not okay. What they're telling me is that's not interesting, or let's not talk about that. All right, next subject, you know, it, please. Yeah, it's just a but little. We. Why,
0: why do you think they said that though to you? Because
1: in 1983, maybe teenage sex therapy wasn't yet a, do, uh, a discipline, or maybe she felt like she didn't have either certification or maybe it was just that she's a living human woman who was 30, probably 34 and she just wasn't personally comfortable sitting and talking to a 14 year old about girls. Yeah. And that's what I think it was. I don't think there was anything professional about it. I think if you talk to her about it, she would say what? No, no. I talk to him about girls all the time. You know, I don't think it was intentional. I think it was just that she was uncomfortable and I imagine that that's true all the, you know, I mean, I've never, I've never been to a psychologist where the fact that they were a human person wasn't, wasn't present in the room. Of course it is. Right. You know, the person that I see right now, his human presence in the room, it, it, it threatens to overwhelm my presence in the room. Um, obviously i love talk therapy Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful to get someone talking and to talk and talk until you think until you until you have a until you you, you you see things by just saying them in the world and seeing them float around the room and you're like oh wait I just said that you're like yeah interesting or you know it works but but the um you know the vast libraries of, of like, uncritically written and accepted balderdash that makes up not maybe the practice of psychology, but the but the um, but the the long boulevards of pop psychology, uh-huh. pop psychology, which took a page from social Darwinism and ran with it. Oh, did, did, did we miss, did we, we misunderstand what Darwinism is and create a new thing that is, that uses, that uses evolution as a metaphor or misuses it. And now we're going to just say whatever we want. Wow. That's a great idea. Let's take that and apply it to everything people do. <laughs> Let's just take that and apply it to, to our minds and our souls And what it ends up being, of course, is anecdote, personal anecdote, enough of them collected together to make a pile of anecdote with no one and no way to subject that pile of anecdote to any kind of real analysis. And so you just throw more anecdote on it until it looks like not only science it looks like the truth look at all this anecdote because in addition to anecdote then there's analysis of anecdote or you know there's 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 propagation of it this latest you know uh, this latest study of uh, 10,000 tweets suggests that guys are cutting people off in traffic more what's behind this cutting off in traffic <laughs> epidemic. <laughs> right, right. And then that gets threaded in there. I read an article about an epidemic of traffic, of people cutting people off in traffic. And then somebody else, you know, and an often journalist, writes a big article. There's never been more cu- people cutting other people off in traffic than ever before. You know, there's never been, there's never been more than there is now. Why? How can this be? I, I suggest that it's because there's a vitamin D deficiency in Taco Bell. <laughs> and then that, you know, that's just in the pile. And it all it all forms a, a, a cloud of anecdote until we accept, we not only accept those, the big ones, the big, big anecdotally proven truths. But now all you have to do is say, four out of five dentists surveyed, Prefer sugarless gum for the patients who chew gum, you're like sold. Hmm. And my, you know, and my and my soul is (laughs) is bound to this stuff. Right? Because my soul was developing through all of this cloud. So what I think is right and what I think is wrong. And whether or not I think I'm good or bad, or my actions are good or bad, it, 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 it has this cancer in it. And some of the, you know, and the problem is some of the cancer is really the, you know, the wonderful pedestals that support some of my, my most closely held truths, my, my dearest feelings. So I can't just dismiss it all because it's some of it is like my, my bedrock and my dad and my mom and their values that they were bringing to me. They also believed in psychology. It's why I was there. Right. 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 Because in the, in the early sixties when they were married, they were both, you know upper middle class seattleites who during an era when it was fashionable to go uh to an analyst and they had the experience of the scales falling from their eyes when in 1961 someone said to them ah things are not as they appeared um columbus did not sail the ocean blue and also Your relationship with your mother is important, not just in the ways that you think, but also it's affecting the way you do your taxes, Dave Roderick. And my dad was like, what? Whoa, you're right. I do cheat on my taxes because my mother didn't love me. So they were bringing this 1960s, early sixties, like thrill that psychology was going to unravel the mystery of their their teenage son who was clearly, like, not built according to the template. Right. We would like to say
0: thanks very much to our first sponsor today. It is Squarespace. You can do so much with Squarespace. You can turn your cool idea into a new website, showcase your work, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, promote your physical or online business, and announce an upcoming event, or a special project, and so much more. And Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They've got built-in e-commerce functionality, the ability to customize the look and feel the settings, the products, with just a few clicks, and everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. They've even got a new way to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 extensions right there on Squarespace. One-stop shop. And they're really encouraging people like us, people who make things. They, they want you to make it and use Squarespace to make it yourself and to make it stand out. That's their whole thing. You don't need to go and hire some expensive team. You've got a team. They're over there at Squarespace. Go check it out. Special URL, squarespace.com roadwork. That'll give you a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ROADWORK, one word. Roadwork, and you will save 10% off your first purchase of a, a website or a domain. You just want a domain. You can go there and just get the domain. You don't even have to use a website, though I recommend it. I, get, I think you should get both over there at squarespace.com roadwork with the promo code roadwork. Save that 10% off your first purchase. I know you will. And we thank you very much for your support. Thanks to Squarespace for making
1: this show possible. So, but the thing is they tied their values to it. You know, they, my, my mom and dad taught me about what they learned in their culture and they, and they added a, they put a little bow on it in the form of the experience they had analyzing their childhoods according to early 1960s pop psychological trends. Right. So there was a history, you know, it felt like history also was bound to this idea. Well, before my mom and dad, there was maybe one generation earlier, maybe two. If you, if you went back to Vienna that were, that had ever thought to think this way. And then, you know, back time immemorial, no one that this would not have been a thing. Right. So 100% of 20th century phenomenon. 100% of thought technology Mm -hmm. that, you know, that came out of the minds of just a small handful of Viennese Jews. And now is a thing that is as inextricable from me as, I mean, it is dearer to me than my religion. It, It functions as my religion. And, um, I mean, it's no more gibberish than religion. So in that sense, I guess, you know, if I were, if I were sitting here and talking to you about my Catholicism, um, and, and complaining about how the guilt that's rife in that culture had inhibited me throughout my life. I mean, that's the, those are just novels. That's, that would be, that would be a thing everyone would recognize. And I guess in that sense, what do I have to complain about? It, it may, you know, it may be, it may be why I'm such a Judea because, uh, because it, you know, to that, that voice in my head, it resembles Woody Allen's voice. Really? Right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like some, somewhere in my language, my inner language, um, There's that, there's a, there's a a Freudian vein that, um, that through the, through the centuries, I guess now is going to, I mean, I hope to, I hope to arrest it now. I, I really don't talk to my daughter about her, um, about whether or not she's motivated by secret forces. I pretty much just. Talk to her about what she's doing on the surface of things. Every once in a while, you know, when she was being bullied last year, it's, it's irresistible. You cannot help but say the reason that he's bullying you is not that he doesn't like you. He's bullying you because he likes you. Right. Like you can't help but say that. Now in, in 1850, I don't know if people... Like, even, I don't know even if they even
0: thought that way, if they even thought
1: well, that's about a, things like that. That's, a such, that's such a simple formulation that I don't, I, I, I'm not sure that I, I can put eyes back before, <clears throat> before psychiatry or before Freudianism to see if just that was country wisdom right? Oh, he's dipping your, your pigtails in the inkwell because he likes you. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's Mark Twain level understanding of Mm -hmm. human being. Mm -hmm. So, so I think, I think the, the missing piece to, to put it in a 20th century context would be he's treating you that way because he likes you and he doesn't know another way to do it because he comes from a broken home and lives in a you know he lives in an apartment building with a single mother and she is she has to work two jobs and is overtaxed and he is receiving negative reinforcement from neighborhood bullies or you know it would be to extend that mark twainian analysis of a situation to encompass a whole sociological profile but even that i mean it's hard to tie it's hard to tie that exactly to any moment or movement, but I try to keep it out of her. I try to keep it out of her SpaghettiOs. I don't want her to sit and, and start seeing like the ghosts of my psychology in her own lived experience. Mm. She can't help but, but know that I am beset by ghosts. Like she sees it in me every day. She comments on it. What does she say? Well, she just wonders why I'm, she just wonders why I'm not happy. And to her, it's a, it's, it's, it's really disturbing. You know what? She'll come upon me. I'm sitting in a room. She just goes, why are you, you know, why are you frowning? And I go, Oh, it's just my resting dad face. And she goes, (laughs) no, I mean, you're, You're like, you are, um, palpably sad, you know, she says it in whatever childlike way she does, but, but she can't, she can't escape it. It's part of her environment that, that in situations that should be simple, one of her parents is. Is having I'm not overcomplicating it because I'm quiet. I'm just having a, 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 a reaction to life that is overcomplicated. I don't bring that overcomplication out into my interactions with people. Like, I don't sit and ramble at her or make decisions based on... I mean, to the best of my ability, I don't make decisions based on these voices. I just am fighting them all the time. There's, I mean, there's always a mountain lion on me. And I'm trying to have my, the words that come out of my mouth and the things that I do in the world seem simple. And, and I, and self-evident. So I don't think she's, I don't think she's being raised believing in ghosts or thing, things that aren't there or, or believing that there are Um, that behind the simpler explanation or the simplest explanation for why one person does another thing, there are 50 stacked up complicated explanations that better explain the thing and the 50 complicated stacked up explanations require that we, um, that we take all these actions that seem counterintuitive or unrelated, but these actions that we need to take in order to heal ourselves in the world, uh, that, uh, that aren't the, when the simplest, the, the, simplistic explanation for the person's behavior is that they're hungry. And if you gave them some food, we would, they would be mollified and we would be on the road. But instead it's, you know, it's their fear of failure that we need to address further upstream. Right. <clears throat> I, I really do try to keep that out of my, out of my home. I keep it, try to keep it off my face. Um, because the, you know, those voices don't, they don't sit peacefully in a chair in, in the halls of my mind. Yeah. You know, they're, they are screaming their, their Balderdash at, um, and the opposite bench is screaming back. Throwing papers, one guy's pretending to nap. The Prime Minister is banging his shoe on the table.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've talked about your jury up there.
1: Oh a war rages outside. Yeah. Oh, it's more than a jury a jury, it's a parliament. Yeah, that's what you called it.
0: We would like to say thank you very much to the HMA VPN. This is the VPN that you can count on. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. It allows you to surf the web anonymously, securely from anywhere with no restrictions. You don't want to be out there at some coffee shop using some random Wi Fi to connect to anything. People say, well, I'm not doing my banking there. Good. That's a good first step. But maybe don't do anything there because through social engineering, hackers can very easily say, well, We did get their email passwords. Now we can get into their email. Or, well, we got their Twitter account. Maybe we can use that to reset something else. You don't want to take that risk. You don't want to be that person. So instead, you'll use a VPN. The VPN protects you by creating an encrypted tunnel that connects your computer to the internet securely from anywhere. You can be on a Wi-Fi hotspot. You can be on your work network. You can be anywhere that you want. And now you have a secure connection. So everything that goes from your computer goes through this securely encrypted place then out to the internet. Huge benefits to using something like this. Now, what are the benefits of HMA? Besides the fact that a good VPN lets you browse privately, surf anonymously, makes you untraceable, untrackable, keeps you anonymous. Well, HMA, they are the largest VPN service Offering the most server locations worldwide, covering 190 countries that they want me to mention, and they're sorry, no Antarctica yet. But there is always a server nearby. What does that mean? That means faster. They don't log your IP address. So there is no way for anyone to know what you do online. They don't log that. Isn't that great? They have network protection, 256 bit AES encryption to ensure that you are connected. Safe and sound to their stuff. You can have five devices connected simultaneously. It works on all platforms Android, iOS, Windows, Mac, Linux, routers. And they've got a ton of new features coming out all the time. Something called Lightning Connect. It always picks the va- fastest server automatically. They have a smart kill switch, it turns the VPN on automatically when you launch a sensitive application. They have a speed test, lets you test the HMA's server speeds to make sure they're fast enough. They even have something called split tunneling. You can choose what gets sent to the tunnel, the secure channel that you're using, and what doesn't. Maybe there's stuff you don't care about. Maybe there's stuff you do. Pretty cool, huh? And uh, HMA VPN, it's risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And here's the fun part of it. The URL to go to is www.hp.com. Hidemyass.com slash slash offer dash five by five. That is their URL. That's what HMA stands for. Hidemyass.com slash offer dash five by five is the URL that we they've given us to give to you. And we appreciate their support. Seriously though, get a VPN and use it, because it really does matter. And thanks very much to HMA for making this show possible. I think a lot about the future John and past John. And I think about myself in general, and I I think I texted this to you. and I don't think we talked about it or if we did, we just talked about a little bit, but I think that the fundamental difference between you and I, and I think, I think we have a lot more in common than most listeners would know. You and I, you and I, but I think that subtle, but in very important difference between us and, and if there was a way to flip a switch, like take us back to our, our very, very young childhood, as early back as you can go and change this within each of us, I think our lives would be much more similar than they wound up being. And the, di- mm-hmm. the subtle difference is. It seems like your attitude toward future John is you hate him. Uh, I've heard you say that before. Fuck future John. But uh, the difference is for me, I'm oftentimes to a fault more concerned about future Dan even than present Dan. And I think this subtle difference explains... The significant differences of, of in, in us and in our lives, because I think we have a lot in common but that one little thing creates a tremendous difference in our in our life and our path and where we've gone and how we've gone there because again, to a fault, I'm very concerned about future Dan too much I shouldn't be. I shouldn't care or worry as much as I do about future Dan. But I think about him a lot, even down to just the things I do on a day-to-day basis of like, well, I, you know, I better put that away because I'll do myself a favor down the road. And I wouldn't go so far as to say that it seems like maybe you're, you try to sabotage future John, but you certainly aren't doing him any favors. Really?
1: Oh, well, see, that's where
0: unless I'm that, wrong am I wrong
1: about that well I don't hate future John obviously future John you is said mean. That you you said that you hate future John no I never did I said that I'm I mean I'm furious at future John <laughs> that doesn't mean I hate him <laughs> that's a distinction I have to make with my daughter all the time okay I'm mad at you but I'm I, I, it has not changed how much I like you I'm furious at both past John and future John past John has all past John has done is fail me. Future John has the potential to make it right. And so I challenge future John. I make it hard on him to test him, to, um, to give him challenges, to put him to the test, to to put his feet to the fire. So the things that I do now that don't appear to help future John are really there to help him by, um, by, by putting him to these, um, these challenges that if he succeeds at them, he will have validated his, you know, he, he will have validated his and my plan and plot and Uh, he will have, um, he will have shown him to be a superior person, shown himself to be a superior person by surmounting the obstacles that I put in his way. So I'm in, I'm in a very, I'm in a very fraught relationship with future John because everything I do now that I, that I do with the knowledge that I'll have to deal with it later, I'm not kicking the can down the road. I am, I am packaging that up and sending it to him. And that's why I, that's why I hate past John so much. Hmm. Cause that seems like all he does is test me and, and give me, um, give me these things to do that aren't just as, Complicated as they naturally would be, but with the added complicate complication of an expectation that I, um, that I redeem him and you know, that my work today isn't just the, isn't just the burden of, of the normal amount of work I would do, but I also am doing his work, not, not putting away the dishes or his work of cleaning the bathroom I'm doing the, I'm doing his work to, to prove his point to show that, you know, that he was right all along or that, um, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm suffering his punishment as well. Cause he defers, he, You know, I often defer my punishment to my future self. But it seems,
0: I mean, it seems like you would only do that if you had it out for that guy.
1: Mm. No, because honestly, the way I was raised, to be given insurmountable tasks, unachievable goals, to be tested Mm -hmm. was the, that was the currency of the realm. You know, anything that, anything that made you struggle made you better.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, my, my father's father. So are you saying that you would, you would create
0: things to make yourself, to to provide that challenge for you,
1: for sure. Yeah. Oh my God, Dan, constantly. The but, but the problem is a lot of them. It's very hard for me to distinguish between what were just mistakes and what were what were, um, what were these obstacles? The the these intentional obstacles, and that's the problem with that that email chain this morning. Did I fuck up five days ago? when I didn't just stand up and walk across the room and do business with the other person instead of the, the one that I ended up choosing, was that just a fuck up? Was I just lazy or did I do it intentionally to myself to, to punish in order to, because I'm not punishing because I'm a sadist. I'm punishing in order to make the future person better and stronger. To give him more evidence, um, to learn from his his past hurts, like my grandfather was a both of them were a, one of them in particular was sadist. The other was just a <clears throat> bad. How I sadist? But, how I mean? In what way? Well, you know, he would wake my dad up as a child eight years old, wake him up in the middle of the night and, uh, put him in an ice cold bathtub. Why? Fill the, fill the, fill the bathtub up with, with freezing cold water to make him stronger. Because did it, if did you, it work, well, I mean, my dad was pretty strong. I don't know. I don't know how you could, how, I don't know how it could work, but you know, the idea that
0: it sounds like it would just make you
1: hate your parent. Well, it certainly made my dad hate his dad. Yeah, but it's you know it is. It is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You Uh know, it's just in a nutshell. It it the shock of it, not just the shock of the, of the cold, but the shock of the betrayal. All those things made my dad who he was. Um. You, you contrast that against an alternative where, where you get everything you want and you certainly have different expectations of the world. And the thing is in my family, it's always contrasted against someone who gets everything they want. Now, I don't know how many of those people there are in the world, but those are the people that we were always, we imagined that we were fighting against the people that get everything they want. And so we don't get everything we want which is good. It's good for us. And also we get a lot of things we don't want, which are also good for us. There's hardly anything I can imagine that would happen to any member of my family where our collective interpretation of it would, would be anything other than it was good for us. House burned down. Well, it's, you know, good buck up, you know, there there's there honestly i cannot think of a single time when anyone comforted someone else on a loss like um to lose something to like a, per, a loss of a person or a, you know, anything cat dies there's a kind of stoic you know, you honor the cat and you say a eulogy on behalf of the cat, but like me being sad or, or relatively sadder than anybody else about losing the cat isn't given any special treatment. I mean, there's maybe a pat on the hair. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, loss, just loss in general, like, it isn't recognized as um, as a thing to uh, be sad about. You 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 lost <clears throat> your grandfather, or you lost your house, or you lost your or you lost the race, or you lost your wallet because. Well, there is no because <clears throat> you did, and the only thing you can take from that is that you learn from it, learn and grow. Hmm. Which at the, which on the surface is, I think, I still I still admire that. I mean, I I admire it a lot more than people who wallow in loss or who expect the world to stop every time they get a sliver. Um. But I also recognize that I don't have any capacity to forgive myself. Well, full stop, but any capacity to forgive feeling loss because the, because the response is, is always like, well, what are you going to do? You know, going to cry over spilt milk and clean it up. So future John has all this all this weight to carry, not just the weight I'm carrying now, but the weight I'm putting on him. And my dad never put me in a bathtub full of cold water. He talked about his dad doing it enough that I feel like I was there. Uh, and, and a lot of how other often crazy I gotta things ask? Besides. How often did he, did he do that? Well, how many times does it need to happen before it sinks in? I mean, he, my dad's dad was a, was a, a drunk. But I mean, what what was
0: you do it once and I feel like that's enough.
1: Yeah. Right. But like, that's a form of, that's a terrible form of, of like physical abuse. But he would also wake my eight year old dad up and bring him into the, into the bedroom and have my dad adjudicate the disputes between his mother and father. With You know, his drunk dad yelling at her about whatever, whatever grownups are yelling, yelling at each other about. But he's like, let's get David in here. He'll, he'll tell you how wrong you are. And then, you know, here's this. The thing is that my, my dad's dad was somewhat of a transient. You know, he did not live in the home. Um, except in in fits and starts. Um, he lived in Los Angeles. He, he came and went and was, um, and was like disparaged by all my grandmother's family. There were, you know, there I've, I've found all these letters from various uncles who were, um, because my grandmother was a music teacher And lived in a big house that she'd inherited from her parents, but that had fallen into not quite gray gardens level decay, but had, you know, it was, she still had a cleaning lady, but she, (laughs) uh, she gave piano lessons and voice lessons to the sons and daughters of the, of the, um, the wealthy class of, Seattleites and she and her brothers you know the, her parents both came from the south and had arrived here from Kentucky in the 1870s and so there was this sort of sense of Kentucky gentility behind their behind their self-image. But her brothers ended up kind of supporting her. her old, her eldest brother married the heiress to the Buster Brown shoe fortune. Buster Brown, really? Yeah. That's and he crazy. lived in a in a beautiful home in Connecticut, yeah um, on the water and lorded it over everyone. Uh, Because he was a, he was a millionaire, although it was, it was his wife's money and she had inherited it. Yeah. So he just sort of sat there and drank and, and uh, waved his, his goblet around pronouncing on everyone. But he did send money back to Seattle to my grandmother. Uh huh. But he always made that money conditional on the idea or on the fact that my grandfather, David Roderick senior was not there. And if, if my grandfather moved back into the house, then that was, it at least stipulated that that would be, uh, that would be cause to cut it off, cause to cut off her allowance.
2: Mm.
1: This is all happening in the thirties, the 1930s. So, you know, and, and my grandmother had been, my grandmother was taken to Europe by her own mother in 1905 to study opera in Paris with the great Parisians and, and what, and believed of herself and, and what, and it was intended that she become, um, like a singer on the international stage a debutante and um and i think i think the kentucky side of the family believed that maybe she was their great hope that she was going to validate their self-image by becoming great but she married the wrong guy and then they put that on my dad Hmm. he was going to be the one that became great. And, and my dad in some ways flamed out relative to what he, what the expectations were and where he was, how he was positioned when he was 24. And then it went to me, it went to my brother, David and my brother, David completely flamed out. I mean, cratered. So it went to me and you know, I think, I I I don't think you could argue that I flamed out, but definitely like pretty shot up. Um, maybe the tail gunner got shot out of there. We're not going to figure it out until we land. He's not responding.
0: <laughs> that's how, that's your, your <laughs> description
1: of your, of yourself. I mean, relative to what the expectations were. The thing is all the way along the way, like, like I said, my grandmother's eldest brother was a millionaire. My, and her younger brother was a Seattle city councilman who came up with the idea for the world's fair, but somehow she was wait, the one wait, that wait, they, wait, wait. What? my, uh, my great uncle, Al Rochester was a Seattle city councilman who in the, in the moment of. 1949 or whenever it was made the first suggestion that Seattle have a world's fair and was the early was one of a little team of guys, the early booster of what became the world's fair and the space needle and all that. And in the official, and this was the story that was told around the dinner table when I was a kid. And like a lot of the stories told around the dinner table, I was always I always felt like, oh, sure. Al came up with the world's fair. And I called him, the, most of the people in the, most of the kids in the family called him Gaga. And his wife, Marguerite, was Tutu. Tutu and Gaga. <laughs> but when I was, <laughs> when I was a great. little kid. Because Gaga was great to kids. But when they turned, when they all got to be about 10 years old, he turned, he turned on them. Like became tutu like T U T U. Yeah. And, and Gaga, G G G A G A. Yeah. But for whatever reason, and no one in the family has ever been able to explain it. Uh, he never turned on me or Susan or my sister. Every other person in the family was like, I, he loved me. I loved him. And then, uh, you know, the day I became a teenager, he became vicious to me. And now I'm just on the I'm on the adult side. Where he is wicked and cruel, but it never happened. My sister and I were spared that turn. He always, and I, because he was older, but you know, he fought in world war one. My, my, uh, my grandmother was there in world war one. Like they had, they gave me, I mean, I, I sat on, because I didn't call him Gaga. First of all, he, he used to do magic tricks for me when I was little and he would say abracadabra and I couldn't pronounce it. And I called him Aberdabber. And so Aberdabber was my name for him and Aberdabber taught me a lot, right? He would speak to me in French. He, you know, he didn't talk about world war one to anybody else and you know, and he alluded to it with me, but also he just was, he was, I didn't have a grandfather that I knew Aberdabber was the closest thing and tutu. They were my grandparents, by, by all accounts. But you know the for whatever reason, the family didn't award Al a, a laurel, a, a, a wreath for his accomplishments. And they didn't award it to Junius either. It was Mary Ellen that was supposed to do it. And somehow she married the wrong guy. And then it was my dad. Now my uncle Jack became mayor of Anchorage. My Uncle Cal and Julia Lee like were you know we're were big big uh, people in the region. You know, he uh, Uncle Uncle Cal was president of Warehouser. Like they were successful people, but somehow it was my dad that was supposed to carry the flag and and you know he kind of he didn't succeed the way it was expected. So all the way along, the family has, has plenty of evidence, plenty of instances where it's, um, where, where nice things have happened. People have succeeded in other words, but there's also this, you know, this trail of bodies, people that were put up to, to be the one and, and maybe it's only the people that were put up to be the one that feel it so acutely, except my sister feels it on my behalf, you know, and I think my cousins feel it in their weird ways. But none of it, you never got congratulated for what you did. That doesn't seem very fair to me. Well, as my dad would say, what's fair got to do with it?